Welcome to Growth Island, your go-to podcast on how to be the best version of yourself. Now, let's join your host, Mess Freeze, as he interviews high performers and experts in nutrition, meditation, exercise, relationships, business, general health, and life's bigger mysteries. Welcome back to this episode of Growth Island. Today, I got one of the best voices on the podcast that I ever had. I had the pleasure of talking to this wonderful woman before, and uh, you could enjoy this. Not only because she has a wonderful voice, but I got Dr. Margaret Rutherford on. She is a psychologist. She's had a private practice for more than 25 years. She wrote the book, Perfectly Hidden Depression. She is the host of a podcast called The Self-Worth Podcast, which has more than 3 million downloads. She has a PhD in clinical psychology, and she's pretty awesome. And she can help all of us uh, old uh, perfectionists or people that are deal- still dealing with the perfectionism and many other things to live our best life because we might be functioning really well, but what does it take to get us to the next level? So, Margaret, thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you. I'm sort of, now I'm a little embarrassed to speak because I've, a lot of my listeners say that I actually, they listen to the podcast and it puts them to sleep. So, I'll try not to put, put your on place. <laughs> I had one other guy who was also um, a meditation speaker. Mm-hmm. He also had this crisp voice that just makes you relax and and smooth. And so apart from having an amazing voice, how did you get into uh, helping people and learning so much about psychology, becoming an expert on that? Well, I, I often say that I'm a psychologist because I'm a therapist because I got good therapy and I did. Psychology was not my first degree or my first career. I was a jingle singer in Dallas, Texas. I sang advertisements and commercials for television and radio. And then I sang at night. I had a jazz group at night. And I did that for about somewhere between seven and nine years. But I really wasn't happy. I started volunteering at the Battered Women's Shelter in Dallas. And I learned that I was using a part of myself that I was not using in fact, you spend most of your time trying to sell yourself to people, not literally, but you know your talent or whatever. And so I got involved in helping other people and I thought, oh, wait a minute, this is a direction I want to go in. And that was when I was about 28 or 29. And so I went to SMU, which is Southern Methodist University there in Dallas and got a music therapy degree, thinking I would sort of combine my musical love, my passion, as well as doing therapy. But then I did an internship, an internship at a psychiatric hospital. And that's where I found my niche. It was like, oh, no, this is what I want to do. So it took me, Mads, it took me nine years to turn my life around from being a nightclub singer and a jingle singer to seeing my first patient as a psychologist. I started blogging in 2012 and just writing, and then I started the podcast in 2016. So it's been a, it's been quite a journey. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that you had a life before being a psychologist. Oh, yeah. I think that matters a lot, and I think no negative about the psychologists go straight from school, but sometimes they might be missing that life experience and having that life experience and then learning all these tools, I think is extremely powerful. Well, I'm not so, yes, I would agree with you. I'm not so sure I learned any tools. <laughs> I had a pretty chaotic decade there in my 20s. I, I learned a lot from my mistakes, I will say that. And actually, that's why I got all that good therapy. And then I 
but I, there's something about it, it. You feel so honored when someone begins to open up to you and trust that what you have to say might be helpful to them or your perspective might be helpful. I often say, Mads, that I'm a, I feel like I'm a conduit between the people I have seen and what I have learned from them about how to get through terrible circumstances and terrible trauma. And, and then the people I see, you know, I might see today that I have learned from those people and I simply offer to the new person sitting in front of me, what was my experience there? So I mean, with more and more experience, you have more and more information and there's a lot of healing in the relationship as well. Therapy is a very unique, your relationship with your therapist is very unique. So there's healing within the relationship, but there's also healing just from learning skills and that kind of thing. Hmm. So one of the things you work a lot with is perfectionism. Mm-hmm. I got into that <laughs> in a very, about the same way I got into psychology it was the circuitous route, as they would say. I was blogging and I was sitting in my sunroom one Sunday afternoon writing a typical blog post. And I thought, I want to talk about these people who externally looked like they had it all together. When they walked in my office, I was like, why are they here? And yet what I learned with time was that what they could not do was access their more painful emotions. They didn't know how. They might not even have words for it. And so they had this silent kind of part of themselves that with, with more and more trust in the relationship. And when I began to understand this, they would open up about and finally begin to learn how to connect with what was earlier trauma. So I wrote this post. I just pulled the term perfectly hidden depression out of the air. And I wrote the post, the perfectly hidden depressed person, are you one? And described a couple of people, obviously anonymously, that I had worked with. Well, the damn thing went viral. <laughs> and I'd never had anything go viral before. And I was also writing for HuffPost at the time. They featured that blog post that week. And I got hundreds of emails from people saying, it's like you're in my head. How do you know about this? Where do I get help? Is there any more information? And I was blown away. I thought, wow, this is something. And so I looked around in the popular literature. Of course, I found Dr. Brene Brown's work. She had just begun writing about it. This was in 2014. And I found a book by Terrence Real, which is a wonderful book called I Don't Want to Talk About It, that was actually written for men about what he termed covert depression. But in the popular literature, the only thing else that I could find were some workbooks that had been written about how to stop being a perfectionist and how to be more comfortable with your imperfections. But they didn't talk about the why. They didn't go back and say, how did this get created? How did you develop this camouflage? of looking physically fit and mentally fit and being successful. And yet the emotional part of your life is, except for looking good, <laughs> the emotional part of your life, you really have a very limited ability to connect with darker, what are, I guess, darker emotions. And so I, then I looked in the academic literature so I guess literally 
I began researching it and I got a lot of support from friends and fellow bloggers and that kind of thing. And five years later, I had it on the market by published by New Harbinger. And so I have heard from people from all over the world about this, you included now, and I so appreciate it, who resonate with this idea that there can be this um, repressed, suppressed part of you that you distance yourself from, you discount, you deny things that may have happened to you that are really very important to connect with. So how do we define, if we go into that, how do we define a perfectionist when it's a challenge? How do you define a perfectionist? Well, there's certainly, the, there's a distinction between constructive perfectionism, perfectionism that's all about seeking excellence and striving. And I'm certainly, I would count myself in that category. I've always been, I needed to be the first or the best. Sometimes I wasn't, mind you, but I wanted to be. And so I, I think those are people who really can and want to do very well. They want to be involved. They want to make a difference. They want to, your audience is wanting to be the best they can be both physically and mentally. And yet when you can accept mistakes, when you can enjoy the process of learning, when you feel fulfilled by what you do, that's what I would call constructive perfectionism. There's destructive perfectionism, however, which is on the opposite side of the spectrum. And that is when there's really no fulfillment. It becomes all about the next accomplishment, the next task, uh, the next thing you need to prove to yourself and to your world that you can do. And the thing that's important to understand about destructive perfectionism is that there is very frequently, and especially in what's what I called with you before we started recording, trauma-based perfectionism, where you have this voice of shame, this critical, nagging, shameful voice that's always talking to you. It's in the, I mean, not like a psychotic episode, but in a sense of criticizing, negatively evaluating, just telling you things like, you'll never be who you want to be. So, it's this inner battle almost constantly that, of course, they have to detach from. And so they stay usually very analytical. Yeah. So what can you do about it? So someone yes. is sitting and listening being like, mm, yeah, okay. Someone might be like, I am that high achiever, but I'm pretty happy and I'm pretty fulfilled. Sure, that's great. And, and like, then you might tune out, but I'm pretty sure you'll still get value. Or you might be the person being like, I'm probably in that category where I'm pushing very hard all the time and it's like an uphill battle and I never feel good enough. Like, I'll tell you a funny story. At least I thought it was very amusing when I was when I had written the book, and it was all that's what I gave to New Harbinger. I described what I call perfectly hidden depression, and I came up with ten traits that are a syndrome. Not it's not a diagnosis. I'm certainly not narcissistic enough to believe that I've come up with a whole new diagnosis. But I call it a syndrome, and probably the most well known syndrome is codependent. When, when people say oh, I'm so codependent, and there's certain behaviors and beliefs that go along with being codependent. So I'd come up with these 10 traits and I described them. And then New Harbinger got back to me and they said, well, we really like this concept. We think that there are a lot of people who need to hear about it, but we need a treatment strategy from you. And we need it in two weeks. That's, <laughs> like, that's two weeks. 
<laughs> so I did come up with a treatment strategy and it, it has five stages. And the very first stage is exactly what you're talking about. It's called consciousness. If you don't call something a problem, then you're, you don't have a reason to work on it, to try to work with it because it's not a problem, right? And I promise you, there are a lot of really destructive perfectionists. They're not constructive. They're destructive. But they're saying, I can't look at any of that stuff. Uh, people won't respect me. I'll lose my job. I'll turn into a slug. I, that's not something I'm interested in. So you have to become very mindful of exactly where you fit on the spectrum of constructive versus destructive perfectionism. And I have a little questionnaire that's on my website at drmargaretrutherford.com if anybody wants to take it. It is not externally validated or validated anyway. It's just my thinking. And you can see where you fall on the spectrum. But so th that's the first step to try to decide how self-accepting am I? How self-compassionate am I? Where do I fall on these, on these traits? And then you have to commit. Perfectionists are very busy people. And you have to find the time and the energy and the vulnerability, also very important, to enter an area that you're not as comfortable in because you're not going to do it perfectly. And a lot of people who come into therapy, when we're going to be finished, <laughs> six sessions and I'm out. And I'm not promoting years long therapy. I'm not doing saying that, but this process is, is complex. And so, because you're really fighting so much, so many of the rules that you've absorbed about what you're not supposed to do. And what you are supposed to do and what the meaning of your life is. In fact, I had a therapist ask me one time, I used this term a couple of minutes ago, but she said, what if you didn't try so hard? What if you slowed down? And I said to her, I'd turn into a slug. And because I felt like if I took the pressure off, if I didn't have my foot on the accelerator constantly, that I would just stop. In fact, I'd go backwards. So that kind of thinking is... is tough to alter to even think about making that step but i will tell you this what it, why this is so important mads is because all over the world perfectionism rates are going up and so are the report and so are so is suicide at this point i know in the united states at least i don't know anybody that doesn't know someone who killed themselves and everybody said I just saw him three weeks ago. He looked great. Or she just coached my daughter's soccer team and they won. Or she was just the head of a volunteer effort and she raised $100,000. I mean, these people look fine, but they kill themselves. Mm. And I've heard from so many people, widows, parents who've lost children. There's a great book called What Made Maddie Run? And she was a college track star at a huge university here in the United States. And she killed herself. And her parents allowed this uh, wonderful journalist to Kate Fagan to uh, talk about and describe her journey because it was so, she looked so incredible. Her Instagram looked great, but she was, she was devolving into this very, despair and loneliness because no one really knew who she was yeah so if we 
I think that's also been a main of my podcast, like the challenges with mental health are severe. So that's one of the reasons also I do these interviews to try and find like, what can we do to change it? So the first step is like recognizing there's a challenge. Right. What do you do after that? Is and then just... admit to it. Well, self-help books are great. That's, I wrote one. You might want to go into therapy with some help for this because mental health professionals have known for a long time that perfectionism can be can be tricky and that it, it's, it, it has both its positive and, and negative connotations. It's a character trait, basically. But in this instance, it's not a character trait. Trauma is a lot more than that. Trauma can be just having your parents scream at you that you'll never amount to anything or being neglected or sometimes there's trauma in being pulled into a relationship with your parent where yeah, there's sexual abuse, but there's also this emotional manipulation where you're pulled in to try to meet their needs. It's called, and that can be traumatic. Just being in a family that doesn't allow anyone to talk about sadness or anger or fear. There are a lot of families very rigidly controlled like that. And that can be traumatic for a child because they learn, I may feel sad, but I can't ever express it. And in fact, I'm punished if I express it. I'm, I'm sent to my room and said, don't come out until you can look happy. And so that can be in its own version of trauma. So it's about going back and recognizing that. And then with compassion for that child to begin to say, how did that change me? And how did I become this rigid, tight, overly controlled, overly responsible uh, person who really values my existence because of what I do. I had a woman say, I'm, a, I'm not a human, I'm a dooman my time. And so I think that especially, again, with your audience being people who are, are very invested in improving themselves and in doing any, everything from biohacking to, to intermittent fasting to whatever they do in order to hone their mental capacity, their physical capacity. But I guess I'm saying... You've also got to hone your emotional capacity. You've got to understand. I like this analogy. I like to think of life as a body of water. The body of water has a shallow end, but it also has a very deep end, right? And you may be more comfortable and feel safer, much more safe when you're in the shallow end. You can stand up. <laughs> you can play. You can swim fast. You can do all that kind of thing. But if you also know how to swim in the deep end, you know the talents and the skills and the capacities where you can also swim the deep end. I think after working now for 30 years with people, those are the people who are most healthy. That sometimes things do get deep. Sometimes they do get, so we all have sadness and things that overwhelm us at times. And it's, and you feel stable as a human being if you know how to swim around in those feelings, how to feel and connect with those feelings. And then, sure, don't, live, don't necessarily live your life there, but don't put on a happy face either. It's good to know that you have skills in both arenas. I know in positive psychology, <clears throat> and many professors of all talk about it, that is often being misunderstood, that positive psychology is not supposed to be that you're happy all the time. There's only two right. types of people that don't experience negative emotions. One are psychopaths, and the other ones are dead people. And you don't want to be either of those. So kind of <laughs> accepting that, like, hey, 
like it's okay to have these negative emotions uh, but that's not the same as you live it all the time but when you have a negative emotion stop up and feel like why is this happening like the emotion is a signal about something that's again not the same that you should stick in that emotion for days or something else but accept it figure out what it's telling you and then you can start working with it and then you can start focusing on the good in your life so, uh, so that's no, really important I, I, to take i i so agree with you it's it is very important i'll talk about self-acceptance and people go well that's just giving up i say no acceptance isn't resignation it's just acceptance that something is there, acceptance that fear is there, that sadness is there. There's also a term here in the United States that Dr. Susan David talks a lot about. Her book is called Emotional Agility, and she talks about a tyranny of positivity that is occurring in our, that we are just always supposed to count our blessings. And how many gratitude journals are there out there? Now, I'm not knocking gratitude. Gratitude is a wonderful emotion to feel and to allow it to fill you. But even blessings have what I call their underbellies. I mean, I'm so blessed. There are many people who want to write a book that never get that opportunity. But it nearly killed me. <laughs> I'm 67 years old. And when this thing was published, I was 65. So I started writing it when I was like 62 or three. And I'm not a spring chicken anymore. <laughs> And it was hard to get enough exercise. It was hard on my mind and my body and my emotions. And I didn't do any laundry for two years because my husband did it all. Thank God. Um, but it was hard. That's a lot of concentration. I was also having a full practice. So it was important for me to feel those things and to feel vulnerable and to feel afraid and feel overwhelmed at times while also being grateful that I got the opportunity to write this book. And now I'm writing another one and I'm like, oh gosh, it's kind of like when you give birth and you think I'll never have another child. <laughs> this is too painful. And then you forget all that stuff and you get pregnant again. <laughs> oh, well, that's how I feel sort of. I've forgotten the birthing process. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got a question from one of the listeners when I wrote it. Hey. Oh, I got to say, but one of them was how to beat anxious attachment style due to abandonment and rejection as a child uh, and no nurturing. It's a big question. Yes, it's a wonderful question. And attachment has come to the fore as basically helping people understand why they have trouble in relationships as an adult. And that's based on attachment theory. Attachment theory basically talks about how your primary caregiver and you uh, bond. How tuned in are they to you? That's their job. Their job is to notice when you're when you cry, to feed you when you're hungry, to cuddle you when you need cuddling. That's their job, right? That's what a parent does. They you are reflected in their treatment toward you and you feel known, you feel safe, you feel secure. And not a lot of primary caregivers do that, unfortunately and sadly. And so you're left with these people who either have an anxious attachment because they have a lot of needs that weren't met, or it seems to be, uh, that's the theory. Uh, you can have someone who is avoidant and who there's anxious, there's all kinds of, there's several categories. And so it helps you understand why when people, for example, an avoidant person, if someone wants to get close to you, you withdraw. You, you want to be close to them in many ways, but you withdraw, you avoid. And so an anxious is 
primarily that you're very needy and you need a lot of affirmation and that kind of thing. And then there again, there are other things. So how do you fix that? I understand that it it is tricky because it's sort of like, first, I need to know what happened and accept. Again, we're talking about acceptance, what happened with my primary caregiver. And then I have to be aware of when it's beginning to govern how I treat other people or how I think of myself. And I, therapy is very helpful because actually your relationship with your therapist will also reflect. And so you can work in the therapeutic relationship to try to change or alter that. It's difficult. I think really with attachment, a lot of it is I know that I'm this way and so I want to manage it. Most of mental health is really about management. To recognize that you have something fairly ingrained in you, embedded in you, that is going to influence the way you think about yourself, the way you think about trust, the way you think about relationships, the way you think about your purpose. And so for you to manage that, to do a lot of your own work on what are my innate tendencies and then how do I manage those to where they don't govern who I am. And at the same as with depression or anxiety, I have panic disorder, for example, and I have performance anxiety, interestingly enough. Now I manage my anxiety. It's not that I don't have panic anymore. Sometimes I still do occasionally. And I have to feel its presence and that it's coming on and that I have to manage its existence in me, and it's my tendency to be anxious. So mental health is mostly about management. Michael, time is running. Where can uh, people learn more about you? Well, I would be delighted and honored to for anybody to do that. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com. And it's a very creative name. And there's everything there. My podcast is there. You can find my podcast, The Self Work Podcast, is on Spotify. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Podcast Addict. It's on Podbean. It's everywhere you listen. It's there. And so, and that's, of course, something I've loved to do. I've done that for five and a half years now, and it's, I, it's a joy to do. My book is Perfectly Hidden Depression, How to Break Free from the Perfectionism that Masks Your Depression. And you can find it on Amazon. And I'm hoping to get a second one out called It's What You're Not Saying. I hope that's what I'm gonna, my second book is going to be about. And more about compartmentalization, which is the stowing away of these feelings and how that happened. Yeah. So I'll definitely put all of that in the show notes so people can Great. find it. And it'll be Great. easy. I Often asked the guests in the end, if you had to give three advice for how to live a happy, healthy, and meaningful life, just boil it down. What would you recommend the listeners? Well, it, it won't surprise you that the first thing that I'm going to say is to recognize when you're not so happy <laughs> and to honor that. And don't, like you said a few minutes ago, you don't want to live in it, but develop the skill of tolerating and connecting with emotions that are harder to do so that those things don't grow more potent in your life without you realizing it, okay? Mm. I think self-acceptance is very important as well. And what I mean by that, my working definition of self-acceptance is not defining yourself by your strengths nor your vulnerabilities, to recognize that neither one of those completely define you. One of the examples I like to use is that I have three letters after my name. I'm very proud of those three letters, but I've also been married three times. 
I'm not so proud of that. <laughs> that two of those were in those chaotic 20s I talked about. So that's not something, it's a fact about me. But I shamed myself for that fact for years. And I've learned that really doesn't define me any more than having a PhD does. I don't like it, <laughs> but I learned from it. Hmm. So I think connecting with painful emotions, then it's self-acceptance. And then I think that also there's, I, I like to think of that there are four legs of a stool that we sit on all the time. And there's the mental leg, the physical leg, the emotional leg, and the spiritual leg. And to realize that if you don't attend to all four of those and try to make sure that they are in alignment and they are balanced, how many people have told me, I'm in a relationship that I hate, but I have a good life other than that. Well, that's not going to be balanced. Hmm. So you want to try to make sure that you're attending to all those things in your life. Got it. Margaret, thank you so much for your time here on the podcast, sharing with me and sharing with all the listeners. I really appreciate that. And thank you so much. I never have on this much makeup at nine o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> My husband asked me, what are you doing? <laughs> well, you look fantastic. So uh, the ones that are listening, they can also jump and see the YouTube to, uh, to see the video as well. Margaret. Thank you. And thanks to your listeners. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Island. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on how to be the best version of yourself. And if you found this show helpful, then please leave us a review so more people will learn about the podcast or share it with a friend who can benefit from it too. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.